This is Under the Dome, the News and Observer Politics Podcast for the week of April 18th. I'm Don Vaughn here with Will Doran, and we are almost exactly a month out from the primary. And the, the big news, well, maybe it's big news, maybe it's not, that's what we'll figure out, is the, we'll, we'll discuss anyway, our endorsements and how much weight they carry and they don't carry. Uh, the latest endorsement, as of the time we're recording this, is in the North Carolina Congressional District 4 race, which uh, includes State Senator Valerie Fushi, who was just endorsed by the Congressional Black Caucus. She already had the endorsement of retiring Representative Butterfield, whose district at one point included part of Durham, um, but is a you know solidly eastern North Carolina district now. Uh, and this um, NC4 includes parts of Durham County, Orange County, and a little bit of the counties north of that. So, Will, what do you think on something like this as far as is this a their specific endorsement? Is this a, a message sending? What do you think of, of something like the Congressional Black Caucus endorsing a candidate? Of course, it's Fushi's, uh, there are more than one African-American candidates in that in that race, but Fushi's probably the front runner, I would say, of the race. Yeah, she's certainly the most, um, the most established black candidate in that race. And I mean, this is a huge primary. Uh, like, like you said, it's, you know, Durham and Chapel Hill. So whoever wins this primary is going to win the election. They're, they're going to go to Congress. Uh, you know, pending some <laughs> massive unforeseen circumstances in the future. So, you know, th- this primary is going to determine who, who represents this area in Congress. And uh, David Price is retiring after 30 years. So there has been this scramble. There's, what, half a dozen or so people on the Democratic side all running for this. Um, and, yeah, you know, uh, the Congressional Black Caucus stepping in and endorsing Fushi is big. You know, I mean, this is an area with a large minority population and, you know, and particularly a large and politically plugged in uh, black population. Um, and so, you know, so that, not the minority, actually, <laughs> not in this case. Right. Um, I, I think it might still be a majority white district. Right. Uh, the whole yeah. district. Durham itself is more kind of even Stephen. Yeah. And the Democratic primary itself might be majority black um, in terms of the voters who show up. Um, it's, it's at least close. Um, but so for, for that reason, uh, you know, the Congressional Black Caucus endorsing in that race is huge. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, retiring Representative Price has not made an endorsement. Um, he, he doesn't really seem to have a, a handpicked successor uh, <laughs> that, that he's backing, or at least none that he said yet. And like you said, we're, we're a month out. So, you know, it's kind of do or die time here. Um, you, you would think that if he did plan to endorse somebody, he already would have done so. I think he told he told our colleague Brian Murphy that he wasn't planning to endorse, but that was several months ago now. So that might not be the the case anymore, depending on I'm sure the candidates are are calling him and asking. And we've got I'll go ahead and plug our voter guide that we'll have in the um, Sunday print and an O on I think it's April 24th. And um, we're all doing a variety of stories and then the candidate questionnaires will we'll post online too at the same time. And I'm writing about the NC4 race and, and I've talked to different Democrats and a lot of it that they're saying is it's going to depend on turnout. So uh, is Fushi going to win because of turnout? The other thing, since we're talking about endorsements, is that former presidential candidate and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, made a big endorsement about a week or so ago, depending on when you're listening to this, from Nita Alum, who is also running in that um, District 4 race. And 
Nitta is a Durham County Commissioner who I've covered since before she was in elected office when there was an open seat um, that she um, she wasn't the one that was ultimately picked for it on Durham City Council and then she ended up on the Durham Mayor's Council for Women and then ran for County Commissioner and her background in the party um, was working for the Bernie Sanders campaign and that's kind of the the progressive tension I think in Durham anyway is the is and I've asked people, I'm like, is this a fair way to describe it? The Biden Democrat versus the the Bernie Democrat, you know, where's Elizabeth Warren fit in there? And, uh, you know, one of the people I talked to in the story is someone who was a Warren delegate and then an alum supporter. Um, so how what, what's the crossover there? And, and specifically at play in Durham is there. Uh, like we've mentioned, you mentioned that, you know, Durham, that the district is blue. Durham itself is very, very blue. Um, and there is, of course, it's still all Democrats, but their recent municipal election kind of shifted a little bit, which could have been a one issue election. It could have been a sign of like what voters want or what voters turn out. But the other factor in that race anyway, is that there's no top because Sherry Beasley is going to win the prime. I mean, again, with the caveat, like something happens, you know, but she, the Democrats have already decided she's winning the Democratic primary for Senate. So there's not that top ticket get out the vote driver for the congressional races or really the, the legislative races. So maybe endorsements are the way to to push that a little bit. So of course, we're all looking at the Republican Senate primary and endorsements there. So let's talk about that some. Yeah, I mean, that, that's another case, um, you know, where you have, um, you know, two very different camps, you know, one kind of more establishment and one kind of more base candidate. Um, similar to the fourth district congressional, but you know, in the Republican Senate primary, really the front runners are Ted Budd and Pat McCrory. And um, aren't they both base and establishment? I guess even though they try to tell each other that they're not. Right? <laughs> sure, uh, but I think the way that they have kind of uh, portrayed themselves, and I, I think it, you know, I mean, McCrory always, you know, back even before he was governor um, of the state, you know, when he was the mayor of Charlotte, always portrayed himself as kind of a you know, on the more moderate side of Republicans. Um, and, you know, he was a you know Republican elected in Charlotte, which, you know, is now a very deep blue part of the state, but, you know, was more of a, a light blue, almost light red at times um, area. Um, but wasn't he known more as a moderate mayor and not so much as governor? Yeah, I, I think that's probably a, a topic for a whole other podcast yeah, yeah. that we could talk about. But yes, you uh, can tell us if you want what you think about that. Yes, uh, I, I think, you know, once he became governor, uh, you know, he kind of moved to the right with the state legislature. I think the mm-hmm. state legislature was, you know, kind of the, the median, you know, GOP lawmaker was much more to the right of McCrory. And he kind of moved with them once he became governor. But um that he did not go far enough right to earn Trump's endorsement um, that went to Ted Budd. Um, and that came a long time ago in this race, um, last June, uh, when Trump was here for the, the GOP state convention. Um, I actually covered it. It was out in Greenville. And Trump made this surprise announcement during the convention. No one really even knew, even up to about 20 minutes before his speech, who he was going to pick to endorse. Um, he ended up endorsing Ted Budd. Um, and obviously that was a big boon for Budd, but he didn't really see a huge bump in the polls for a while. Um, so some people were kind of scratching their heads about that, uh, both in the state and also nationally. I mean, you saw you know reporters in D.C. kind of using this Senate primary to 
question like how much weight does you know Trump's endorsement still carry anymore? It did get a more more national media. It got Bud more national media attention. Absolutely, and I mean you you know you have to remember you know Pat McCrory is someone who's been involved in state politics for a couple decades. You know, as mayor of the state's biggest city. Then as governor, now as Senate candidate, um, and you know Ted Budd has really only been around since 2016. Uh, you know that was the first time he was elected to Congress, um, and so McCrory really had the lead for a while, even for well after um, Trump endorsed Budd in that race. Um, you know all, all of the polling, which you know it was mostly internal polling from the two campaigns, which you always have to take with a grain of salt. But you know even the Bud camp's polling for a while was still showing McCrory with the lead. Um, but now, you know, we've gotten sort of our first real polls of the race and Bud does seem to be out in front. It took a while. <laughs> it took seven or eight months. Um, the and thing about those polls, though, is there are so many undecided voters. Were they, are the undecided Republicans just the ones who are going to wait until they get there and then decide, you know? Or are they, like, not going to vote at all? Are they still deciding? Because Bud, I mean, how, how big is his name recognition statewide versus McCrory? Probably not. Or maybe it has reached that level. Yeah, I, I think it's getting there. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily 100% the Trump endorsement that did that. I think really what's helped him out is there's a group called Club for Growth that has just put millions and millions and millions of dollars behind Bud, uh, mostly in TV ads, actually just attacking Pat McCrory for being too liberal um, ever since the Trump endorsement came out. So, you know, even if like the endorsement itself didn't necessarily like create this like seismic shift in the GOP electorate, what it did was signal to the PACs, like Club for Growth, that, okay, here's, here's the guy that we want to put the money behind. And so that really, you know, after, after months of, you know, millions of dollars in ad spending, you know, he, I think his name recognition is getting up there uh, towards, you know, the level of Pat McCrory's. And they've also been successful in, you know, causing... A lot of Republican voters who very happily voted for McCrory twice or even three times for governor. I mean, remember, he's run three different times for governor. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of people who have supported him in plenty of primaries before who are now, as you said, undecided, you know, because they, they've liked McCrory in the past. But now they're seeing all these ads that are slamming him and they're big Trump fans. And Trump says, actually, this other guy, Ted Budd, is better, but they might not know that much about Ted Budd because he is, you know, a pretty much a newcomer, uh, you know, his, his district is kind of out um, in sort of just a, a rural part of the state, kind of around the triad area. Um, so, you know, he's not really been like a huge media market in the past. You know, he, he's been in Congress for a few years, but hasn't really made a ton of waves as a congressman, hasn't gotten a lot of recognition. So maybe, so, I mean, Bud and Mercury are, they're both established, they, they're, they're established politicians that have been in like either statewide or federal government. Yes, and they're both, they're both context. running as the, the outsider. They're absolutely not the outsider. <laughs> Neither they're of them already, is an outsider at all. They've been elected <laughs> by, the, by the state. They're not an outsider. But, um, but Bud could theoretically be seen as a newcomer from, like you were saying, like the people that don't know him. So they're like, here's somebody new. You know, I don't want I don't want someone else again. But the other thing with endorsements is maybe that matters a lot to the 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 party faithful, or maybe it doesn't. But the the other thing about this primary is that now we have the largest voting block in the state are unaffiliated voters. Um, we've written about this before, and the the unaffiliated voters do tend to follow the same voting patterns of 
where they are, like the, the rest of their the rest of their district, but they also don't like the parties. Some they also they don't like being told how to vote, but they also don't particularly like the parties, even if they'll vote for, for one or the other. And when you get to choose um, what, what ballot you want in North Carolina when you're unaffiliated. So unaffiliated voters could swing a little bit for maybe just because like things are so close in the state that maybe those endorsements will count just a little bit, just enough. And the same thing for, you know, unaffiliated voters voting, um, you know, before or against. The other thing we we're talking about with endorsements that we hadn't mentioned yet um, on the on the congressional races is Josh Stein, the attorney general, has endorsed Valerie Fushi, which is interesting because part of it could be that she's a state senator and generally with a party, you kind of like whoever your incumbent is already, which I'll segue to another endorsement <laughs> factor that, that didn't, didn't play in that way. What do you think the, I mean, you've covered Stein uh, for a while and we all know that, we, you know, he's probably running for governor too um, in a few years. So why do you think he would endorse Fuji or, or maybe well, just, he, they know each other? Yeah, they know each other. He was a state senator uh, before he became attorney general. And so, you know, they, they served together in the Senate. Um, obviously she represents Chapel Hill, um, and you know, while while Stein doesn't live in Chapel Hill now, he grew up there, and you know, still has obviously ties to the area. So, you know, I, I think there's plenty plenty of reasons why he would have, uh, you know, chosen to endorse her. Um, you know, I'm sure some of the other candidates would have preferred uh, <laughs> to endorse them. But it, it's been interesting, you know, while, while you've seen some of these endorsements, you know, pouring in in this fourth district race, whether it's for Nina Alam or for Valerie Fushi you really haven't seen the same rush from the Democratic establishment to pick a candidate in the 13th district primary. I was primary. just thinking that, right? Wiley Nichols, Sam Sersey, yeah, current so, senator and former. Yep. Yeah, so that's the district that is kind of the Wake County suburbs, like Western Wake from Cary down through Apex, Holly Springs, Fuquay, and then into Johnston County. And then it's got, what, parts of Harnett and Wayne, I think, as well. Um, and maybe maybe even part of Sampson. Um, a little, but, just a little bit. It's, it's mostly a Wake and Johnston yeah. district um, with a couple other sort of rural agricultural areas scattered in there. Um, and so, yeah, like you were saying, Don, it's, it's Wiley Nickel and Sam Searcy, um, both, uh, you know, kind of younger, up and coming white guys from the Wake County suburbs who either currently serve or used to serve in the state Senate. Um, so on paper, you know, very similar candidates. Um, and there really hasn't been a rush from the Democrats to to endorse in that primary. Um, well, how do you pick? Because both both Nickel and and Cersei are state. I mean, Fushi maybe she was an easier given because she's a sitting state senator, and yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe they're not sure like how it would play if they chose one or the other, Nickel's still in the Senate and there he still has votes this year. <laughs> so since we're talking about the state Senate, um, let's also talk about a big endorsement news on the legislative level that came, I think it's been about a month ago now, which was a surprise. And we were all like, wait, what? Where Governor Cooper endorsed the opponent of a sitting uh, Democrat, uh, Kirk Devier, who- Which um, you never see happen. Uh, no, we are, I'm like, is this a story? Oh, yeah, this is a story. Uh, I've written a couple stories about it. Um, Representative Billy Richardson had a lot of things to say. He just said it was a mistake, um, that Cooper absolutely shouldn't have done that. It's um, it's just a 
sort of a breach of protocol where you endorse, you know, people that are um, that are already sitting and running for re-election, and why would the governor care about um, a primary? And so the the party line, as it were, is that. Uh, mentioning teacher raises and Medicaid expansion, which of course were two major budget issues, and Debbie Ayer was one of the state budget conferees. But so were a lot of other people that are running. So it's interesting that he was the the target of being both, you know, as a verb, being primaried, and then also that the governor would endorse an opponent um, in, in that particular district. So we'll see if that was a smart or not a smart play on the governor's part. Um, if Devier wins the primary anyway, um, generally you want like the um, the caucus to support you and, and, you know, sustain all your vetoes, which could play into why this happened because Devier did vote with Republicans sometimes, but so did others. So did Senator Paulo, who's running for re-election. Um, Senator Ben Clark, who's actually running for Congress. And who is the fourth one that I'm forgetting? Oh, no. Oh, Senator Don Davis, who's also running for Congress. <laughs> so we could be looking at um, who is still around that yeah. you can uh, try to send a message to next session. And speaking of Don Davis, he is running against former state Senator Erica Smith. They all sit in the same row in the Senate, which is <laughs> right. Like, you know, um, the, the my where I always sit in the, the press area behind and, and watch all of them. Um, but anyway, Elizabeth Warren endorsed Erica Smith in that race. So that was a surprise uh, to me anyway, that you know, I knew um, just before that she was endorsing the alum and then to um, see the announcement and that it was Erica Smith too. Uh, so we'll see if, if that carries any weight with voters in that primary. Yeah, it was interesting to see uh, some, some DC folks kind of get involved in these races. Um, and I mean, well, obviously, you know, it's racist for Congress, so they're, you know, trying to say, hey, I'd like to work with this person in Congress. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much weight those, those actually carry, uh, you know, something to watch here. All right. So we are, we've brought it back a little sporadically. We're going to, again, this time, Headliner of the Week, which uh, Twitter responses told me that you guys missed and, and want back. So Will and I have not even discussed this before as we're talking what our Headliners of the Week will be, so I'm just gonna throw mine out there first. Please do. <laughs> That's more of a phrase. My headliner of the week, and we don't vote because there's only two of us. We just like share what, what we think it is. I'm gonna say North Carolina and election season. Um, everyone likes to talk about North Carolina being politically purple, and it went for Obama, it went for Trump, it's this and that. But lately it's not gotten the same national interest, you know, like maybe it's not as much of a factor in play, but we're, you know, we're still here and obviously a place that national politicians like to come because former President Trump was just here. And as we record this on Thursday, President Biden is should be arriving any second in North Carolina. So North Carolina still gets attention in campaign season. So that's my headliner, our state and campaign season. What's yours? All right. Um, well, I think I'll go with actually something a little related, um, which is inflation the big boogeyman uh it's what uh what biden was really here to talk about you know ostensibly he was talking about you know some of the states you know big wins with attracting factories and things like that but uh you know he was giving a speech at hbcu at ncant and talking about you know his administration's plans to deal with inflation you know so it's you know even though it was 
you know, on paper, technically a White House event, you know, I, I think it was also pretty much a campaign event, you know, with him coming out to the Democratic base and saying, hey, guys, like, we got this under control. Like, you know, we've got a plan for this, you know, kind of in, in damage control mode, honestly. And, you know, if if inflation continues to be an issue through the summer into the fall, um, then, you know, it, it could really hurt a lot of the Democrats who are running for some of these congressional seats, whether it's for the U.S. House or the U.S. Senate, you know, even though it's something that, you know, is really completely out of their hands, um, you know, obviously people, you know, will vote, you know, based on how the economy is doing at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's really a, a large reason why Biden was here was to kind of rally the base, uh, you know, as election season is getting started here and, you know, try to, you know, make sure that Democrats don't have a, a, a large voter fall off in, in November. You know, <laughs> obviously this podcast is all about the primary, right. but I, I think a lot of people are already looking forward to November. And so he'll probably be back. Oh, I think he'll be back, back several times. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening for the News and Observer. I'm Don Vaughn with Doran, and we'll talk to you next time. from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.